Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Tough question. Are, are you QB1? Are you going to be the first quarterback pick? I am. I am. I think so. I think uh, I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I just think you look at, like, the game now and how it's changing. I'm a mobile guy that came in a West Coast pro-style system. I started a program that was five and seven the first year I was in it. Mm-hmm. You know, we left as ACC champions, 11 and two. So I know how to win. I know the process it takes to get there. It's never an easy thing, and it, you know, I'll make that transition. You know, I feel like faster in the NFL now because of that experience, and I know yeah. how to go about my business as a pro, uh, kind of being an older guy. Uh, I think that's at the end of the day, that's what you know. Coming out of the position, it's like, can you win? You know how to, you know how to handle all the things that it takes to be a quarterback, uh, and I definitely, I definitely do. So I think, yeah, I am QB one. The quarterback position requires a certain confidence, swagger, almost bordering on delusion. I think if you talk to any of the top prospects in this year's class, they're going to say, I'm the best guy. I should be the first one taken. It's not a surprise that Kenny Pickett would say that. And it, meanwhile, continues to be very uncertain as to who goes first, which team will use a first-round pick first. Will it be a top five? Will it be a top ten? Will it be a top 20? We're 13 days away from the prospect. What's your overall sense right now, Peter, based upon everyone you've talked to about where these prospects are and how quickly we'll see a run on quarterbacks? Mike, it's it's amazing. I had a very prominent NFL general manager tell me yesterday that my gut feeling is there's only going to be one quarterback picked in the first round, and that is going to be Kenny Pickett. And uh, who you just saw. Yet, I've had others say, I think there's going to be a run at quarterback among teams that want to get the fifth year out of the quarterback in a year where there are players like, let's say, Malik Willis, uh, you know, and, and Sam Howell, who a lot of people would say, this person needs a redshirt year, maybe two. So I, I, I've had I've had people say one 
in the first round. I've had people say five. But here's the other narrative that, to me, is really starting to bubble up. There's a lot of people who think the Carolina Panthers are going to take a quarterback at number six, or if they can trade down a little bit and risk not getting the quarterback who they want. And look, everybody has put them with Kenny Pickett because five years ago, obviously, as we all know, uh, when uh, Matt Rule was in his final year uh, as the Temple quarterback, he recruited and got committed Kenny Pickett, the kid from South Jersey, who was going to be his quarterback of the future. Then later that year, Matt Rule left for Baylor. Pickett decommitted. And everybody is still putting two and two together and saying, okay, Pickett, Matt Rule, they're a match. There's two problems with that as I look at it. Number one, this is Scott Fitterer's pick more than anything else. And Scott Fitterer, the general manager of the Carolina Panthers, in my opinion, he's getting a lot of sympathy. First of all, Scott Fitterer is a very well-liked guy in the NFL among his peers. And he's getting a lot of sympathy because everybody out there knows that they don't have their quarterback position solved. Everybody knows that they have a very impatient owner in David Tepper who wants a quarterback yesterday. And so right now, a lot of people think, and the Carolina Panthers have one draft choice in the first 135 picks in this draft, and that's the sixth pick overall. So this, is, this could end up being like a one-person draft. And Mike, I just want to say one last thing. Food for thought. In the last 10 drafts, okay, Carolina picked sixth. In the last 10 drafts, there have been 18 quarterbacks picked in the top six. And right now, as I would look at it, I would say no more than two are absolutely sure things with a third because I've got Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert being absolutely sure things as of now. Kyler Murray, probably a sure thing, okay? But beyond that, there's 15 question marks. And look, I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence or or Trey Lance isn't going to make it uh, and all that, but the road is littered with all these other guys. And look, you can say Jared Goff is this. I mean, we'll see. But the road is littered with so many guys who didn't make it in the last 10 drafts who were picked very high. And just this is a time, I'm just saying, buyer beware about quarterbacks in a relatively weak quarterback crop who are going to get overdrafted this year. Let me go back to 2018. Baker Mayfield won, Sam Darnold three. How'd that work out for the Browns and the Jets, respectively? We spent plenty of time talking about how the Browns are trying to clean up the lingering mess with Mayfield, and now the Panthers have Darnold under contract, and they're paying him the same $18.8 million salary that Baker Mayfield is going to get this year. But they are desperate for a franchise quarterback, and I think the problem is, and this is what fascinates me about the NFL, you get a guy like David Tepper, who has made billions. They put out a list last week, Forbes did, of the 10 richest owners across all sports worldwide. Only one NFL owner was on it. It was David Tepper at number eight. So he's done very well for himself. And these guys, the type AAA 
triple positive personalities who think that they can bend reality in their direction by the sheer force of their will. They find out the NFL doesn't work that way. They find out that sometimes the more they Steven want Ross something, the harder they try to get years. it. Yeah, the harder they try to get it, the harder it is to get it. And Tepper has been determined to get a franchise quarterback, and he can't. They, they swung the bat twice for Deshaun Watson, and it whipped back around and hit them in the head. And now they've got, you know, an opportunity. The only way that you can force a quarterback to come to you is through the draft. And, Peter, you're right. There's been plenty of failures. But the rookie wage scale that got put in place in 2011 makes it easier to justify rolling the dice. Because if you roll it right, you got your answer for the next 10 to 15 years. If you roll it wrong, we'll be back here in a year or two to do it all over again. And I think David Tepper is willing to roll the dice. And I think they are going to take a quarterback at six. I'd be surprised if they don't. Because Tepper so desperately wants to solve that position. And he can't do it through free agency. He can't do it through a trade. They, they traded for Sam Darnold and it blew up in their face. Like I said, they're done kissing frogs from the veteran perspective. Now I think they're going to start kissing frogs from the rookie perspective. And I don't mean that as a disrespect to the quarterbacks or to frogs for that matter. But you've you got to take your chances. And, and you know that sooner or later it's going to work out. We're going to keep doing it, and at some Do point you? we're going to get our guy. Do you? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Do you? Tepper does. Tepper does. <laughs> I mean, I don't know either. Hey, Mike, you know, Chris Sims had a great comment uh, on Twitter last week, and I'm sure he said it on your show. I know what and you're going to say. His comment was, it's all good to take Kenny Pickett at number six and to get excited about him, but what happens in the dog days of training camp when players and even media – you know, who may not be scouts are looking out at practice and day after day, they see that Sam Darnold is better than Kenny Pickett. Now, Sam Darnold might not be better than Kenny Pickett. We'll see. But I think the danger is that you bring both those guys to training camp and whether they're competing for a job or whether Matt Rule says, just like Matt Nagy said a year previous, I am not playing Justin Fields early. I'm not playing him until he's ready. This is about 15 years. It's not about the next three years. Whatever you say in August sounds good. But then you start one in three and your quarterback's thrown six interceptions. And all of a sudden, you can't hold back the the flood any longer. You know, you got to play the kid. So I guess I would just say about this. I agree. I understand that I believe they're probably going to take a quarterback too. But the road is littered. And I could say there's at least 10 out of the 18 who absolutely unequivocally, you know, were ham-handed failures. Okay? And, and, you know, you just have to ask yourself, do I truly believe in this guy whether it be Pickett, whether it be Willis, who, whatever it is, do I truly believe that this guy is going to be our quarterback for, say, the next 10 years? You mentioned at one point that Matt Rule, while he was at Temple, had recruited successfully Kenny Pickett, and then Rule went to Baylor. Rule is a factor in all of this, too, and I hope David 
Tepper, for his sake and for his team's sake, thinks this through because if he views Matt Rule as being on the hot seat this year, and frankly, I'm surprised he survived 2021, and I think the size of the buyout was a factor in keeping him around. But you bring in a quarterback at number six, you give him a year with Matt Rule and Ben McAdoo, and then you get a new coach in there, and maybe the new coach doesn't believe in whoever you take at number six. And, you know, these are the examples, the tangible examples of things that can screw up a young quarterback's career before he ever gets a chance to flourish. And this is why I keep coming back to the idea that where that guy goes to start his career has so much of an impact on what he does or doesn't become. If I'm Kenny Pickett, maybe I'm thinking – I don't know that I want to go to Carolina. Not that he's got a choice. What's he going to do, sit out all year? He's stuck. They take him at six. He's going. But he may be walking into a pit of dysfunction, Peter, that has Matt Rule fired during or after the season, that has a new coach next year that isn't a Kenny Pickett guy. That's the very real risk that arises for Pickett, who's got no control over it. It's a risk he has no say in whether or not he's going to assume. It's amazing how bad a position, in my opinion, the Carolina Panthers are in. It's just, first of all, like I said, one pick in the top 135. And what are they going to do with that pick? They're going to pick a quarterback, most likely. I think we both feel that way. Unless they can trade this pick. Okay, and I don't see that happening. But they're going to pick a quarterback that first of all will enter the league as not a sure thing. And second of all, will enter the league having no idea if his coaches today are going to be his coaches nine months from now. And, you know, it's just, look, I'll never forget, you know, a long time ago, Mike, I sat in the, uh, I think it was six years I worked for HBO inside the NFL. And every Wednesday or Thursday, the show was on alternate days different days, depending on what year. I'd sit in a room with Dan Marino for an hour and a half as we would discuss that week's show. But of course, you sit somewhere for an hour and a half or longer, and then you hang around with that person, and you start to talk about real stuff after a while, after you get to know each other. And Dan Marino was, even though, okay, obviously you wish he'd won a Super Bowl, But Dan Marino saw what happened to so many of the picks before him in the draft that year. Remember, that was the golden year for quarterbacks with, you know, so many guys. Ken O'Brien, Todd Blackledge, Jim Kelly, uh, Tony East. John Elway. Marino. John Elway, yeah. But but that year, you know, when Marino would look at it, Marino would say, hey, look. Sometimes the best thing can be if you get picked late rather than early. And, and look, it, he, as I say, he didn't win a Super Bowl, but he went to a competitive franchise that was in it almost every year. And, and that is the goal of what... Uh, uh, th- that should be a quarterback's goal. I want to go to a place... Not where it's going to be exciting on draft day because I'm the third, fourth, or fifth pick. That, that's not, that shouldn't be your goal. Your goal should be, where can I go 
that I'm going to have a chance to win with long-term. Forget the first contract. It doesn't matter. It's the second and third contracts and being in a place that you have a chance. And that's why I think so many guys, as I say, you know, there's 10 or we could argue 12 that have been lousy picks at between one through six in the last 10 years. And I think the biggest reason is because of the situation they walk into. Peter has just put a giant worm on the hook as the bait for me to launch into my periodic diatribe against the draft as an un-American process that forces guys to go work places that it isn't in their interest to work. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not taking that bait today because we need to take a break. When we return, the Packers have finally gotten some help at receiver for Aaron Rodgers. Is it nearly enough? We'll discuss that next on this Friday edition of PFT Live. To trade for him now, to sign him now, particularly to give him the biggest contract, the biggest guaranteed contract by far in NFL history, now is just, I, there are not enough, you know, uh, malodorous words to describe how I feel about that. I almost had to stop the proceedings to give you an appreciation of malodorous. Uh, and uh, who knows? Who knows what SAT word Peter is going to have next? But I love it. I appreciate it. And I encourage it. That was the word of the day on a recent Friday. Malodorous. Who knows what the word of today will be? Who knows what words were uttered by Aaron Rodgers yesterday upon hearing the news that the Green Bay Packers have addressed the glaring absence of a number one receiver with the addition of Sammy Watkins. Now, a few years ago, you'd say, hey, it is a number one receiver that we're getting in Sammy Watkins. But Sammy Watkins, and talking about draft misses, the Bills moved up in 2014. They could have stayed where they were and gotten Odo Beckham Jr. They could have stayed where they were and gotten Aaron Donald. They moved up to get Sammy Watkins, and it's never worked out for him anywhere. He had a flash in Kansas City, had a great Super Bowl game against the 49ers where he he got open uh, late in the game and had a big catch and yada, yada. But right now, one year, four million. That tells you everything you need to know about where Sammy Watkins' career is, and this is surely not the end for Green Bay, Peter. I feel like this is a an insurance policy in the event they don't get the guy they want in round one at the receiver position, assuming that by now they know who they want. Sammy Watkins will play this year at age 29. He's missed, by my count, uh, 28 game, 27 games in the last six years uh, because of injury. He's not played a full season any time since his rookie year in the NFL. So you just ask yourself, what have the Green Bay Packers done? Well, Mike, you enter this offseason essentially after losing two of your top three receivers, one to a trade, one to free agency. Your wide receiver depth chart has basically been denuded. And there is your football morning vocabulary uh, word of the week. But... What happens is when you do that and you're Brian Gutekunst, you say, 
we are going to go out and do what Major League Baseball teams do all the time. We are going to go out and we are going to get a few guys who have a chance to pick up the slack right away. Sammy Watkins is one of those guys. He's a guy to pick up the slack. He's not a guy who you rely on, uh, you know, to be there for 17 games and to play 45 snaps a game because he's not that guy. He is, the, he is a hold-the-fort guy, Mike, until the one or two guys you draft this year are ready to be the prominent guys for Aaron Rodgers. And I'll just say one last thing. To me, I said this after they lost, uh, after they lost Devontae Adams to the Raiders. I don't even think this is even questionable. The receiver for Aaron Rodgers... And the receiver for the Green Bay Packers in this draft, if they can get him, they might have to trade up a little bit to get him, is Chris Olave from Ohio State. A pristine route runner and an incredibly smart receiver who I've been told, like on day one, Aaron Rodgers will say, that's my guy. Here's the key, though, and I've been hammering this point repeatedly. The Packers need to be talking to Aaron Rodgers. They need to enlist him to watch film. They need to get his views on these guys. They need to get him invested. They need him to buy into whoever is there when they show up to start training camp. It came out this week. He's not going to be there for the offseason program. He will be there for the mandatory minicamp. They don't have a lot of time to get up to speed. So I'm hoping they ran Sammy Watkins by him and he said, okay. That was the thing he complained about last year. The attitude toward him is you just work here. They need to involve him. They are completely rebuilding the most important position group on the roster as far as he's concerned. He should be involved in that. And if they're smart, they're talking to him because they need him to trust whoever is there, to embrace whoever is there, and ultimately get the football into the hands of the guys who are charged with, with replacing Devontae Adams, which won't be easy. We've got to take a break. We're going to recap another busy week in the NFL when we return, and then we'll talk some Bill Belichick on the other side of that. More PFT Live right after this. Feel the pulse of the city. Feel the beat of the drum. Feel the bass blow your hair. In Las Vegas, live music delivers much more than sound. It's where music comes alive. With artists like Megan Thee Stallion, Maroon 5, Carrie Underwood, Shania Twain, Babyface, Lionel Richie, and many more. Every show is a playground for your senses. See the full summer lineup at visitlasvegas.com. Mike Krzyzewski from this week's Football Morning in America regarding Bill Belichick, his quote to Peter King. I've always felt Bill had a curiosity about the game. It wasn't what he already knew. It was what he was still going to learn and how he was going to use what he knew in the ever-changing environment that he's in. He's very adaptive. There's nobody who's built a better culture in pro sports than him. Culture should not be assumed. It needs miracle grow every year, and he's been able to keep that culture going. There's a patriot way I totally Admire that. Strong words from one of the great all-time basketball coaches. And Belichick turns 70 on Saturday. That's why Peter was delving into what made Belichick who he is, what makes him who he continues to be. 321 wins. And Peter, he just keeps on going. You know, you remember, Mike, it was about, I think, 14, 15 years ago 
when Belichick basically said, well, I'm not going to be hanging around into my seven, coaching into my 70s like Marv Levy was. And I think what has happened over time is that all of the stuff about age has just become a number. You know, from Tom Brady getting ready to play this year at age 45 to coaches, Pete Carroll is 70, Belichick now is 70. I looked at some, uh, you know, some stills of George Hallis in his last year in 1967 when he coached at age 72. Hallis looked like he was 80 years old. (laughs) You look at Pete Carroll, you look at Bill Belichick. I mean, Belichick looks like he's 55. And, and again, I have no idea what his away-from-the-building life is like. But the fact is that Belichick has no intention from everything I've heard from people who are close to him. Josh McDaniels, I wouldn't be surprised if he was still there in 10 years. Now, I don't think that. But, Mike... He's 27 wins away from breaking the all-time record. Don Shula's got 347. That includes the playoffs. Belichick has 321. That includes playoffs. 27 wins away. And again, I don't think Bill Belichick, who has a tremendous love of history and tremendous regard for history, I don't think he's hanging around to catch Don Shula. I think he's coaching because he still loves coaching and really wants to rebuild this franchise back to a position of prominence. And I don't know whether it's going to be three years or four, but there's little doubt in my mind that he will own the record for most coaching victories and he'll do it in fewer games than Don Shula did it in. Several years ago at the league meetings, Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, told me in an interview that was part of the PFT Live program that he wants to see Bill Belichick coach into his 80s. He wants to see him perform at a high level like a Warren Buffett or a Rupert Murdoch well past his 80th birthday. He believes he can. You mentioned George Hallis. That's the big caveat to me because Hallis got to the point, and he explained this when he retired, he could no longer physically do the job. He couldn't run to the official when it was time to yell at a bad call that he knew that the joints from the waist down were no longer able to carry him the way that they did. And that becomes the question then, do you go Joe Paterno and coach from the press box? At what point do you say, I'm, this is my identity, this is who I've been for all these years, but I have to surrender this. That's going to be the challenge for Bill Belichick. And as he gets to 71, 72, 73, at what point does he no longer physically have the ability to do it? And this came up a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about John Harbaugh, who is 59. Chuck Noll retired 30 years ago at 59. Harbaugh, I think, of all the guys currently coaching, is the one most likely to coach into his 80s because you wouldn't guess that he's 59. He looks 39, 34 maybe. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a sign of where society is going, cleaner living, more exercise. It all kind of adds up. But, yeah, I I don't see Belichick stopping because, Peter, at this point, it's who he is. What else would he do? What would he right. do with his time if all of a sudden he wasn't doing the thing that has been his life for most of it? 
The interesting thing about Belichick is that he apparently has a pretty good and satisfying life outside of football. He lives on Nantucket for a little portion of his offseason, has a home there, absolutely loves it, loves sailing. (laughs) It's funny. Noel was a big sailor also. And, you know, who knows what he would do outside of football. But I agree with you, Mike. And, you know, look, I credit Sims, Chris Sims, for this one also. One of the reasons why Bill Belichick, why this game doesn't kill Bill Belichick is go back and play the video of the Super Bowl against Seattle where you're seeing the clock tick down inside of one minute, 50 seconds, 45 seconds, 42 seconds. Bill, call a timeout, call a timeout. And the reason he didn't call a timeout is he wanted the pressure to be on the Seattle Seahawks. And it turns out the pressure was on the Seattle Seahawks. And I don't know whether you'd call it a choke. I don't know what you'd call it, but it worked. That coaching was an example of how Belichick could just sit there and let the time tick off the clock. And if Seattle had scored right there and given the Patriots the ball back with 21 seconds to go or whatever it would have been, and you would have said, Belichick, what a dummy. What an absolute idiot. I can't believe what a jerk he was. But Belichick is secure enough in his own skin to say, I'm going to let that happen. And the reason I bring up Sims is that he was on his coaching staff for a year plus, and he saw it every day. And one of the things that Chris says now is to, to and, and I'm paraphrasing him, May 12th, is as important to Bill Belichick as October 12th is. Every day in building your organization, in building your team, is just as important as a game day. And that is the way that Bill Belichick has always run his business, and it's worked out pretty well. It requires a highly functioning mind and a sufficiently functioning body. That is going to be the key as he turns 70 on Saturday. Happy birthday to one of the all-time great coaches in any sport, and we'll see how long it takes for him to get back to the top of the mountain. I would not bet against another Super Bowl championship or maybe more than one for Bill Belichick by the time he calls it quits for good. Let's go ahead and take a break. There's a little Tom Brady news that will be very interesting to one person in particular who was poised to write a half-million-dollar check. We'll explain that when PFT Live continues right after this. Good news for the person who plunked down $518,000 for the ball that was Tom Brady's final NFL touchdown pass. That auction closed the night before Tom Brady unretired. Oops. Now, look, Peter, I'm stunned by this one. Leland's put out a statement late last night that the auction has been voided, the mutual agreement of the buyer and the seller. The buyer would surely agree to void, there went the ball, uh, to void that auction. I don't know how anyone commits to paying that kind of money when, at the time, the rumors were rampant that Tom Brady was coming back. And he came back one day later. So good news for the person who promised to pay that money. You don't have to pay it after all. 
The ironic part about that, when I saw that yesterday, I had just seen a feature story on TV about all of the Jackie Robinson merchandise uh, and memorabilia. I shouldn't say merchandise. Memorabilia being auctioned off uh, this weekend on the 75th anniversary of that. And to think that somebody would pay that for a football that no one really knew whether it was going to be his last or his winner or whatever. And whereas here's, here are bats you could buy that Jackie Robinson used in the World Series and in, in real games. And I'm saying, what is wrong with this picture? Buy the Jackie Robinson bats, will you? You don't have any prediction about what is going to happen with Tom Brady in the future. And I think the one big lesson to be learned from this is don't assume that anything that is offered at any point over the next 10 years is Tom Brady's last, last cleat, last ball, last helmet, last anything. Until he's 60, there's always a chance he's going to come back and play. We will come back at 5 o'clock Eastern for PFTPM. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. Have a great Friday. Feel the pulse of the city. Feel the beat of the drum. Feel the bass blow your hair. In Las Vegas, live music delivers much more than sound. It's where music comes alive. With artists like Megan Thee Stallion, Maroon 5, Carrie Underwood, Shania Twain, Babyface, Lionel Richie, and many more. Every show is a playground for your senses. See the full summer lineup at visitlasvegas.com.